welcome to the Girls Who Run the World podcast, where we're bringing you inspiring guests who are leaders in their industries. We'll be tackling topics from education and empowerment to diversity and inclusion. Together, let's learn from these incredible women. This podcast is brought to you by Our Gorongosa. We create specialty coffee with 100% of profits supporting people, wildlife, and the planet in Gorongosa National Park, Mozambique. Girls' education is one of our biggest priorities because we know girls have the power to change the world. Just like Beyonce said, who runs the world? Girls! Hello and welcome back to the Girls Who Run the World podcast. I'm your host, Emily. And as always, I'm so excited you are joining us. If this episode has brought you any value, please share with a friend or tag us on Instagram at our Gorongosa. We love to see your stories. So before we get to episode 29 featuring Olienka, I wanted to make sure everyone's getting super excited for the launch of our brand new website, which is happening very, very soon. Should be in the next week or so. So I can't wait to share that with you. And also, if you haven't yet taken advantage of our special offer for any of our podcast listeners, make sure you check out the code in the show notes to save 15% off your first purchase of our incredible specialty coffee with 100% of profits going to Gorongosa Project in Mozambique. So let's get to it. Episode 29 featuring Olienka Credo. Olienka is an award-winning social impact entrepreneur and wealth equity strategist who works with economic justice organizations and social impact businesses to advance wealth equity. So she is an absolute powerhouse and started her decade-long career working in the U.S. Congress before she co-founded her very first social impact company, Melanin Essentials. And we do talk about that in the episode and we really get into how she in typical entrepreneur fashion, solved a really big issue she was seeing. So she has also went on to create national social good movements for Dismantle Collective, We the Change, B Corp, Women CEOs, and Common Future. So this episode, we go into how seeing her father hustle as an entrepreneur really instilled that entrepreneurial spirit in Olienka. We chat about social entrepreneurship and what that actually means and why it's so important to support these businesses. We chat about how closing the racial wealth gap impacts us all and how we all have a role to play in that to work towards closing that gap. We also talked lastly about the biggest challenges and rewards that come along with building a B Corp business. So much value in this episode. I hope you learn a lot. I absolutely did. Let's get to it. Here is episode 29 featuring Olienka Credel. Welcome to the show, Olienka. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. You know, we like to get started and just get right into it. So I'd love to ask you, what are you most grateful for in your life right now? So I love this question um, because I've recently been in a phase of healing, liberation, although that's what I do for my work. I started to really hone in on how to do that for myself more intentionally. And so recently what I've been doing is going to every morning I'll, you know, go to a quiet place and then I will think about what I'm grateful for. Every day I'll write down what I'm grateful for. And just a quick note, I live by the airport. So you might hear some lots of planes going back and <laughs> forth. I am, you know, in a quiet place. But just so you hear, if you hear some noise, that's what that is. But yeah, 
every day I try to write what I'm grateful for. So that could be anything. Sometimes I'm just grateful for a full night's rest. Like when I've gotten eight nights, eight hours of sleep, that's usually what I'll write down for one of the things <laughs> I'm grateful for in the morning. But yeah, I try to make gratitude a daily practice. I try to make gratitude an actual habit, a way of life, a perspective, and a way of being, because I find that that's when I have the most joy. And so what I'm most grateful for, I would say overall, if I don't think about my exercise, just in general, really just having life and having it more abundantly and having healing. And of course, my family, my three children, every day, they just bring some new adventure to, my, to me and they keep me on my toes, but they also keep me motivated to, to do the work that I'm doing. And I may feel tired, but they never keep me tired. They always give me energy. So, <laughs> yeah. I love that. And I do really love what you said about just making gratitude kind of not just something you check off your list, making it really part of your lifestyle in a way. And I really like that. I think that's so, so important just to go through life with the eyes of being grateful for what you do have instead of focusing Mm -hmm. on the things you don't have yet. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) What gives you inspiration every day? It sounds like definitely your kids, but is there anything else that inspires you? Yes. There is a quote that says, I don't want freedom when I die. And I love that quote because it reminds me that the work that I'm doing will outlive me, but I want to see some progress while I'm still here. And so what inspires me every day is really just the idea that I'm here for a reason. I have a purpose. And the legacy that I leave is to have freedom for people and for others. But what good is freedom if I'm dead, right? (laughs) And so (laughs) I try to like really capital, like bring freedom to the forefront when it comes to what I'm inspired by. Like why I get up every day and do the work that I'm doing is really because I know that there are people in the world who don't have that liberation, that freedom and that healing and that wholeness from macro issues and injustices, but also just daily living because of the society, the, the, the pace in which we do life is not conducive for wholeness, is not conducive for pausing, is not conducive for breathing. And so I'm very passionate and inspired to see that for others because I used to be in a very closed off, really, you know, just I felt like I was in a prison when it came to like my liberation. And so I remember that feeling in my soul when I didn't feel like I had agency, autonomy. I didn't have lightness, just the feeling of being light. And so I think that, and especially as we're in mental health, May, the month of May is mental health awareness. And just thinking about, you know, anxiety and depression and how, you know, as an entrepreneur, as a social impact entrepreneur, doing, being an entrepreneur is hard enough. Then you want to add in an (laughs) entrepreneur for equity. And so it can be burdensome work sometimes. And I found a way to be able to have freedom and have joy and have lightness. And so that inspires me that I have it for myself, but also to give it to other people. And so I know this work will outlive me, but I want to also be able to experience it for myself and see other people experience it while I'm alive. Yes, that is beautiful. And such a noble cause. So I love, I love to hear it. What advice would you give your younger self if she would listen? I love that. If she would listen, (laughs) my younger self just thought she knew everything. So you got that clause there, Mm -hmm. but um, yeah, I would, I would tell my younger self that she matters 
she matters as much as she may not understand where she fits in. She belongs. She's human. And that is enough for her to belong. And I used to, when I was younger, I used to work so hard to, you know, I was a perfectionist and I didn't like to get things wrong. I like to make mistakes. And so I didn't realize that was a part of an oppressive culture. So what I would tell my younger self is that I'm okay just the way I am. And I would always also tell myself to slow down, breathe, and focus on my healing because I experienced a few traumatic things in my life. And I don't think I realized just how much of a grip those experiences and those negative traumas had on me. And so had I experienced healing sooner, I think I would have been a a different person. Um, I don't have regrets, but I do know that if my younger self had an opportunity, I would have, you know, embraced the healing process. So, Yeah, I fully agree with that myself as well. And my experiences is that Yeah, I definitely could have done well with addressing some of those things. A lot of things Mm -hmm. for my life was kind of just swept under the rug and it was like, keep going, push, push, push. Right, exactly. Yes. And I think I feel privileged and fortunate that I didn't fully crash and burn. I mean, I kind of crashed and burn, (laughs) but I think because of certain privileges that I have, I never fully hit I mean I hit a rock bottom but I think it could have been a lot worse mm-hmm. um yeah. so yeah I wholeheartedly agree with that and I think there's so much to be said for it's it's not fun going through different types of trauma healing but just the speaking of that feeling of autonomy it's I think when you're deep in traumas it's really hard to have that sense And that feeling that you do have autonomy because you're so kind of dragged down by it. Like you said, whether or not you even realize it. And then Mm -hmm. once it, some of it's at least released, I don't know that we ever fully, fully heal from those types of wounds, but Mm -hmm. once a lot of it is released, it feels like a whole different world. (laughs) You're like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. look at this. So yeah, I love what you said there. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's, it's really important as Woman X, you know, the podcast is all about, you know, girls who run the world. And um, we have to talk about these things. We have to make sure people know, like, you know, healing is number one. Like, my quote is this, unaddressed anger is a missed opportunity to heal. Mm. I always say that, that that's quoted by me too. I know it sounds so good. You're like, who said that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, seriously. I always say unendured anger is a missed opportunity to heal because you kind of feel way down. You feel angry. You don't know what to do. And those, you know, you also heard, I don't know if you heard the phrase that anger is a surface of emotion and what that that's true behind anger is always a deeper feeling. A lot of times it's either hurt, pain, neglect, being misunderstood no one likes to feel that way and I think a lot of times because of the world the way the world is set up and there's a lot of inequities there's a lot of injustices everything um you know is it can be tough for a lot for most people live a very hard life most people and I don't think it's because life is hard I think it's just because of the way systems are set up and so they don't serve people to prioritize their healing and so yeah no, you're absolutely right. And something that I really noticed, and I don't know if this was a similar experience for you, but having children kind of resurfaced a lot of things. And I feel like yep. at one point or on the one hand, I should say it was really hard. And mm-hmm. on the other hand, it allowed me to kind of 
see the places where I still needed a lot of healing attention. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, okay, Emily, this is clearly, you know, this clearly was not taken care of when you thought it was. <laughs> so mm-hmm. let's like go back to that. But I think, you know, speaking about the way that our systems are set up, I mean, particularly in the U S but it doesn't really support mothers at all, especially mothers of color, mm-hmm. but all mothers yeah. it's, it's, you know, you're kind of set up to fail. And I think there'd be such a change if we could support mothers because it is such an amazing time when you, when a mother is born. But like I said, it also brings up a lot of trauma and can kind of resurface things. Yeah. Yeah. I saw this quote the other day and it, it was on, it was actually on Instagram. They said, mothers, let's just not forget that, especially first time mothers, but we're essentially doing this, something very new. Our children have never been in the world. They're growing up. But we also forget that we are also growing up in motherhood. Like we're, we're growing up. We're essentially growing up with our children. We're going through young adulthood. Then we're going through older adulthood. Then we go through mid-age. And then we go through older age. And then we be, like we're, we're growing up with our children, essentially. And so being gracious with ourselves. But also, like you said, the system isn't set up to really support mothers. Um, and so we really have to figure out a way to normalize things like full, full-time full paid leave, you know, for a substantial amount of time that actually allows a mother to be with her child. And so, yeah, not that we're here to talk about benefits, but that, that goes along to what you're saying. What's one mantra you like to live your life by? Oh, I'm a, I'm a woman of mantra. I have <laughs> mantras everywhere all the time. So I'll tell you the one that's most recent for me right now. My mantra is just show up, just show up. And what it means. And for me, I would say is you know, I'm in a place in my life where I'm, you know, speaking a lot about black wealth and wealth equity and the racial wealth gap. And I'm also at a point in my life where I'm personally trying to grow and I'm being stretched in areas of my mental health, my physical health, and I'm being challenged to go to a higher height. And my personality type is one in which I don't really like to fail. I hate to admit that because (laughs) I talk all about dismantling white supremacy work culture and toxic and oppressive oppressive, um, mindsets and environments. And so but part of that is also recognizing when you are also a victim of it yourself and when you also need to adjust certain habits. And so I just repeat to myself every day, whether I'm going to the gym, because I'm not naturally an athlete. And so having to go to the gym every day and my trainer is really tough on me and he's making me do things that I've never had to do before and I feel inadequate. And I just say, just show up. This morning I was getting dressed and I didn't know if I was going to make it to this event. And I said, just show up. And you know, every little incurrence, it just reminds me that there's always something waiting for you if you just show up. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to be perfect. Just show up because you never know what's going to be there, what could change your life, what could empower you, who you can meet, what could inspire you, what opportunities may be waiting for you. Just show up because a missed opportunity is something you can't get back. And so I'm not trying to promote FOMO or fear of missing out culture. But what I'm really saying is know what your priorities are and commit to those because no one ever regretted consistency. <laughs> so just show up. Mm, that is a good one. I love it. Who or what has been your biggest teacher so far? 
<laughs> my children. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I think you might say that. <laughs> I feel my the children. same. <laughs> my children. I mean, honestly, they they uh, they keep me humble. They remind me that I need help, and they remind me that I need healing. And like you said, heal. You don't just arrive at healing. It's a daily thing. I do this thing called gentle parenting, which is essentially allowing recognizing that your children are humans and just allowing them to learn and not projecting your childhood experiences, good or bad trauma on your children and just recognizing them as human and just speaking with them. And so coming from an environment where I got spankings, my parents didn't sit and actually talk to me about behavior you know, because gentle parenting says children, they are, their, their behavior, you shouldn't react to their behavior. You should be curious about their behavior. So I always try to have a curious mindset. And when you're in curious mindset, you're always in a state of learning and inquisitive behavior. So my children keep me learning every day. They keep, they challenge me, but in a good way. It's like, I really learn a lot about them and myself through parenting them. Mm-hmm. I love that. And they act a lot of questions a lot of questions that half of the time I need to go find the answers for so (laughs) (laughs) yeah my three-year-old started asking the why thing at about Mm. two and a half I was like oh we are (laughs) we are just starting this okay so I find it it's like a fun little challenge for me I see you know how much information I need to give him and before he he's like okay okay I get it mom so it's kind of a fun little challenge for me I'm like what what information is he going to be happy with here? Let me see. And yeah, sometimes yeah. I sometimes I have no clue. And I just tell him that, like, actually, I'm not really sure about that. <laughs> and sometimes I'll say, yep, you, know who, yep. you know who would know a lot about that is your Uncle David or whoever, you know, someone who might know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was thinking good. I was thinking the other day I was saying to my friend, we don't really get to kind of be scientists as much in the same way. Because you just Google everything now, you know, like if I wonder something, I just Google it. <laughs> you know, I didn't have I don't have to go out and really try and figure it out. It's like the Internet will tell me this is a whole new world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's wild. So, Alinka, I would love to start by chatting about your you told us a little bit, but about your early career journey and what really led you into entrepreneurship. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love this question. And so what, so I would say my career journey, like what led me, I guess, to start my business and my career journey, I would say it was a mix of divine purpose and environment. My father was an entrepreneur and not just any type of entrepreneur, but he was an entrepreneur immigrant who came to Brooklyn, New York in the eighties with basically a dollar and a dream. I think it was maybe late. I think it was like seven, late seventies, early eighties. And so there's an insider joke or phrase in the Nigerian, I guess, culture or career culture is like, you can be a doctor, lawyer, or disgrace. That's basically what they <laughs> say. <laughs> That's like the phrase that we say in our culture. And so expectations were high. And so my dad came here, started a business, really successful business. So seeing him grind and create a successful company from literally nothing, I knew early on that it was possible to envision something and bring it to reality, even if it didn't exist. And so, but I'm also an innovator by nature. And so I always went against the grain. And so that's why I said, I think going into 
what started my career journey as an entrepreneur was a mix of just divine purpose and environment because the environment that I was, you know, bred in was, you know, entrepreneurship, working hard, creating something of yourself. And so I always like to acknowledge when I've had some sort of exposure or privilege into what I, what I, what I experienced and who I am today. And so I did have some exposure and some environmental things that really bred that for me, but then also divine purpose because by nature, I, I like to create things. And so when I saw the equity and the wealth gap and that I existed for my company, when I first started to my company, I knew that, that I wanted to solve that problem because I realized quickly, quickly that, you know, when you're starting a business, it's already hard enough. But then when you realize you factor in all the different things that make it difficult for black women, I started to realize like, oh, this is a problem that's way bigger than me. And so even back to my first, my very first job when I worked in Congress, I already knew this was going to be my career field, whether it was like, you know, I knew I was going to do social impact. And so I did that as, you know, a congressional staffer. I've done that as a program director. I've done that as an entrepreneur. So early on, I was like, this is the field I want to go into. I want to address, you know, the inequalities that I noticed for my community. So really, as early as I can remember seeing my dad hustle and struggle, and I knew right away that things weren't equal for him. And I could see him being mistreated as an immigrant. I literally saw that at times. And so I think early on in my environment, but also naturally, you know, I like to just push, go against the grain. And so I knew I was going to be problem solved for most of my life. And so I think that's kind of how I, the best way I can answer that is just a little bit of divine purpose that's beyond myself, but also just my environment that I grew up in. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Oh, so I'd love to hear as well, how you started your very first business. Yeah. So growing up, um, my first introduction to like beauty products and hair products and just that whole experience was when I was maybe like nine or 10. And my grandmother, she used to the biggest deal for, you know, black girls back then was getting your hair straightened because back then the curly hair didn't really exist. Like black women didn't wear their hair natural. We didn't wear curly outside it wasn't really a thing so we just always had our hair braided or in weaves or we would get it straightened and so it was time for me to get my hair straightened and there was this thing called a hot comb where you this tiny it's like an iron comb and you put it on the fire and you can let it get really really hot and then you take a piece of your hair and you you comb it through and it straightens your hair Mm. and it was really painful and I realized that time I was like why do I have to do this to my hair and then I was like you know I want to perm and so when I was older, like maybe 12 or 13, I begged my parent, my mom for a permit. She was like, no, I'm like, why? She's like, it's not good for your hair. I just, <laughs> I ignored her anyway. And I got it. And then literally after like two years of most of my hair started falling out because it was basically <gasps> chemicals. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? The things black women have to do just to fit into society <laughs> is ridiculous. And so uh, when I graduated high school and went to college, you know, when you're kind of finding yourself and around that time, it wasn't really, it wasn't really like a lot of products. Like you couldn't go into any major store, whether it was a beauty store or whether it was a target, you could not go into any major store around 2008, seven, six, you could not, it was impossible. There was no curly hair products. There was no black hair product section. And so my co-founder and I, at the time, we were like, you know what, we're going to do this ourselves. And so she had a background in biology and chemistry and we started experimenting with product, with ingredients and we ended up creating something out of nothing and we really loved the way that it did to our hair. And so we started to wear our hair out and we stopped getting those relaxers and those perms that was like cutting our hair out. And and so we started to tell people about it and we had people on campus trying it out and it was just like everyone, it spread really fast and they were like, 
have you heard what Olainika and Sabo are doing? <laughs> and so we had this opportunity to apply to a business competition. And we were nervous. We didn't know if we would get in because you had, it was a, you can, you can apply if you had an idea, but you know, most of the businesses that were applying were already established and they were already, you know, in service. And so we were the only business that applied with an idea. We got in, we ended up getting in and we were like so shocked and long story mm-hmm. short, we ended up winning the whole competition. <sighs> like six months later, we were on the, we made we became finalists and we became the top three and then we end up pitching on stage in front of the whole community we end up winning the whole thing and ever since then it's been like insane because we got a lot of exposure from that we ended up getting connected with the b corp community and we ended up just being able to talk more about why it's important to include black women and beauty and then that's when all all these other products started coming out and so that's kind of how i got started my first business with creating hair products it was called well it is called melanin essentials and so that was that's my first business that's how I got started with that one that is incredible I remember when I found out it's like another such like a basic thing for most women is you know like most women have some sort of foundation and I remember when I was first like it was first brought to my attention that most you know beauty brands don't make shades that would match every woman I was like that's Mm -hmm. ridiculous and how frustrating that must be. So I think it's amazing that you kind of saw this, like you said, it's like a ridiculous problem, but it is an issue that black women weren't able to find something that can just, you know, enhance natural hair. Cause you think that would be a given, um, mm-hmm. but that's yeah. so cool that you were able to start that and really just, that's what entrepreneurship is. You see this this gap and this problem, and then you figure out what the solution is. And for years, it was, you know, a product that can enhance natural curly hair. So black women don't need to burn their hair off for no reason. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) That's amazing. So something that's become a bit of a buzzword, I feel is social entrepreneurship, you know, or social impact Mm -hmm. businesses. So I love to hear from you, someone who's been in this game for a long time and thoroughly understands it. What does social entrepreneurship and, you know, a social impact business, what does that really mean to you? And why are you so passionate about working with these types of businesses? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, And you're right, like social impact. And, you know, this is this has become more frequently common and people are starting to wonder exactly what it means. And I'm very happy. I'm very happy about that because I, b- I believe that, you know, doing eth- ethical business is really the way to do business. And for some reason it's seen as like a plus or a cool thing or a noble thing. But if we look at statistics, if we don't change the way business is done in our society, if capitalism doesn't adjust and wake up to realize that it's not working, we won't have a society. We won't have a world. We won't have a globe. And so I think the more people speak up about what's going on in our environment and our economy and how it's affecting people and the more people understand, like, you can have all the money in the world, but that will never save you from the world's, where the world is heading. And so one thing I noticed was that when I first entered the social entrepreneur space, when I first went to my first B Corp conference back in 2018, maybe 17, I'm not sure. But when I went to my first B Corp conference, I promise you, I was the only black woman in most of the spaces. Mm. And so I was like, but when we're talking, we're talking about sustainability and climate change. And I'm just like, 
do you know that climate change is going to disproportionately affect those who are in low-income communities, those who are in poor communities, and people of color and indigenous people, Black people? Like, we're going to be the most affected. So why are we not included in these conversations? Why can't you find us on these major stages in the UN and in all these different conferences? And so I said, there needs to be a voice. And so in intersectional environments, I don't know if you know about uh, the, the, the organization, they talk about the intersection between racial justice and environmental and climate justice. And so that's really why it's so passionate. I'm so, so passionate about it because I belong in this conversation. I have the tools to fix it. And we need to start thinking about a way to provide agency to the communities who are going to be most disproportionately affected by these issues. And we are the ones to solve our problems because we're affected by it every day. We welcome feedback. We welcome resources. We welcome expertise. But at the end of the day, agency should be given to those who are most affected. And that's what I believe to my core. And that's where I see the most results in my work. And so, yeah, I, I'm really passionate about it because that's how it's supposed to be. And I don't think that any other way will serve the best way besides those who are most affected by these issues being included in the conversations. Yes, absolutely. It's a huge, huge miss to, to just completely, <laughs> yeah. you know, leave certain communities out of the conversation, let alone communities, as you said, who are going to be the most affected. So it's so amazing that you are you know, kind of saying this is what needs to happen and I'm jumping in here and anyone else who wants to come along for the ride should. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so something else I know you're really passionate about is, and, you know, speak a lot to is the racial wealth gap. And I think something that I love to chat a bit about is how closing that gap affects everyone, because I think there's almost a misconception that you know, it won't affect white people or it will negatively affect certain, you know, ethnicities. And it's like, that's actually not the case. And I know you're kind of an expert in that realm. So I would love to hear your views on that. And then how we as a society, it's a big question, but what are some things that you see working in that direction that we can maybe do more of? Yeah. 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 So I, I, I love that. Um, I think the first thing, can you take me back to your first question? I think I was, I, I, I only remember the last question because I was listening. So can you say the first yeah. one again so I can answer it in order? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So something I know you're passionate about and sort of an expert in is the racial wealth gap. And mm -hmm. I have noticed that there is a bit of a misconception around that mm -hmm. and, and around oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Around how, you know, I think there's almost fear that it could, you know, quote unquote, negatively impact certain groups. And so I would love to hear from you what that kind of looks like. And then, yeah, how we can work towards closing that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot of statistics out there about the racial wealth gap. On average, white households have nearly 10 times the wealth of black, hold, black households. And studies show by 2053, the way current trends are going, that the racial that the wealth gap for Black Americans could be $0, literally by 2053, based on how the wealth gap is continually growing. And so I think what's really important to note is that everyone is affected by these issues, right? And I always talk about, I had a conversation with someone and they were saying they were struggling because I, I do wealth equity consulting 
and DEI consulting. And so one of my clients was saying, you know, I have an all white board and I have, you know, most of my, my employees are white and I really want to change that. And I just feel bad and I feel guilty. And I was like, well, what is guilt going to do for you? Like, we don't want your guilt. <laughs> we no. want you to recognize your role, right? Because we are all products of our ancestors, but we are still here to make that change. And so I always try to implore people to recognize your role. Everyone has a role to play. R- figure out what your role is because everyone has one. My role is to be an advocate. If someone has a lot of wealth, maybe they inherited wealth and they know that, you know, honestly, this wealth gives it. I didn't earn this wealth one and not every way. Everyone feels that way. But for those who this applies to, I didn't earn this wealth. The history of my wealth came from slavery. Like most people don't even recognize where their wealth comes from. And that's one of the things that I do. I help people figure out exactly where their wealth comes from um, and figure out how they can redistribute their wealth if they, you know, want to do that. But, and so recognize your role. We're not trying to pass around guilt and fear. We, we don't need that. That doesn't move the work forward. But I think everyone needs to recognize their role in the fight for justice, in the role of making the economy more equitable. We need to all figure out what is our role. And so because everyone is going to be affected, again, climate change, economic injustice, there is farmers all over the world who are deeply, deeply affected. And at the end of the day, the earth is not figuring out and caring about what color this, your skin is. Like everyone, no one is going to be exempt <laughs> from the issues that are mm-hmm. being faced. Again, disproportionately, they do affect my community. But overall, the entire globe is affected. Even in New York, the gas emissions, the air, the quality. It doesn't matter what color you are. If you're breathing in New York air every day, <laughs> Your lungs are suffering, right? <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> but I think, you know, all that to say, that's why I'm really passionate about that. And I think that's why I share about the racial wealth gap, because at the end of the day, the economy being imbalanced is going to affect everyone. The climate being imbalanced is going to affect everyone because it's so heavy and it's so deep. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's that's why I, I think that everyone needs to recognize their role and their part in in how to address it. Mm. Yeah. That's something I've definitely been thinking a lot about the last, I don't know, I want to say five years. I think it can take, depending on who you are and the kind of environment you've grown up in, I think it can take some time to, like you said, even begin to address that. But Mm -hmm. I think for me, you know, I always thought, well, I'm not, I'm not quote unquote rich. Like I don't come from a wealthy family. I think a big Mm -hmm. thing for me, just for anyone listening who kind of might've felt that too. It's like, for me, I started to just address all the other kind of privileges I have. And, you know, I'm able-bodied, I'm white, I was educated. So there's so many things that I've had to just realize that I have like big privileges and kind of a big responsibility to see what ways that I can kind of, like you said, like what, what is my role and how can I just myself affect change in some way, shape or form. And like one Mm -hmm. thing, one thing for me is I've always, again, since more, you know, examining these things, I've always thought about how can I, you know, hire women of color So anytime I'm like, I need to hire something in my business or whatever it is, is there a way that I can support another, like another woman of color's business? Like that's one way Mm -hmm. 
that mm-hmm. I've personally kind of gone about it. And I'm sure there's a million ways, but I think it's such a good thing and a, a good point you brought up. And I kind of challenge everyone listening to think about, as you put it, what is your role and what are those actionable steps you can take? Because it's going to take everyone. As you know, you talk about a lot. It's like I've seen talked about a lot, I should say. It's going to take, it's not about Black people changing everything. It's like white people need to step up and figure out what, mm-hmm. what can be done. And the whole community outside of the Black community needs to figure out what can be done. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole purpose of allyship, right? Like allyship means coming alongside aside something that doesn't directly affect, affect you, but it affects the world you live in. And if you care enough about that, you'll come alongside different causes. Me, I personally don't identify as LGBTQIA, but I'm an ally. Mm-hmm. And so I, and it's important for everyone to recognize that they have a role. For humanity's sake, we have a role to be there for each other in different ways. And so, yeah, <laughs> that's why I love what I do. Yes, it's really, it's truly amazing. So the last thing I wanted to talk about before we get to the rapid fire round is specific to B Corp. So you kind of mentioned that earlier in the interview, and I wanted to hear from you what were kind of the biggest challenges that came along with building a B Corporation and what you feel were some of the biggest kind of positive um, attributes that came from being certified or the biggest impacts? Yeah. Um, So for B Corp, I would say the biggest challenges that came along with building a B Corp, I think, is right away was the fee. It was actually difficult. We took us a while to be able to do the paperwork because it was just two of us at the time. And we were knee deep into everything. We were literally mixing and manufacturing our products and shipping them and labeling them and cleaning them and certifying them. And then also doing our social media and then also running the admin, then it's customer support and then the certifications and the quality quality assurance. And so it was a lot. And I think that to become a B Corp, you really have to have the privilege of support and resources to be able to have an admin person that's dedicated to that. It's pretty extensive. The cost, the commitment, all of that. And a lot of businesses who are especially small businesses, especially black owned businesses, that's my specialty. Like the resources that we need and the resources, sorry, the resources that we need and the resources that we have they're more than likely are not the same or not matched. And so a lot of times you'll find black owned businesses are struggling with development for their businesses and scaling their businesses. And so that was a huge challenge for us is just being able to scale up to that point to be able to handle what it took to overcome the, the, the price, the process and all that. Luckily B Corp, they were able to work with us and they gave us, you know, uh, equity discount as well. And so that's, I work with, actually worked with B Corp, B Lab mm. a few years ago to give feedback and help them with that process. So I'm really proud of that. Um, and I inspired the equity change. So now black owned businesses and other businesses that face equity issues, they can actually become a B Corp um, at a different price. So I'm really excited about that opportunity that is now available for other businesses that can come along. Um, and so that I, I would say that even answers the questions. What do I feel are the biggest impacts that I found in becoming certified? Yeah, I think I think that that would be it. That would mm. be it, is being able to see other people who come from less privileged backgrounds to be able to to learn more about a social impact business. But at the same time, 
even though it can come off expensive, we know the price is what it is because it's actually priced at what it should be. Right. People are getting a living wage. We're sourcing clean ingredients. And so that is the price. So people are used to other cheaper prices, but I found that it becoming more accessible to people has been the biggest impact of becoming certified. It's just being able to allow that process to grow and allowing B Lab and B Corp organizations to open themselves up to more accessibility. So that I would say that's my proudest moment of becoming part of the B Corp community. Yes, that's incredible. Such an accomplishment that so many people are going to benefit from, I'm sure already have. So that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They have a new program that just came out as well. So really excited about that. And I recommended a few folks to it as well. So very cool. I love that. Well, Ilyanka, I wanted to thank you. And before we get into the rapid fire round here, really acknowledge you for the incredible work you're doing in supporting equity and supporting Black wealth and really showcasing what is possible in that community and just supporting people along the way. It's really, really incredible. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> My pleasure. Okay. A book that's changed your life. The body keeps score. That is on my list. That's funny. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Favorite place you've traveled? Los Angeles, California so far. Mm, I do love LA. Oh, can I take that back? Yeah. Dominican Republic. I went on a vacation years ago and the food was amazing. I'm sorry. Dominican Republic. (laughs) I feel like the vibe there looks so good. Like, I just feel like it would be fun. Yeah, I would totally go there. Mm -hmm. What's a lesson you've learned recently? It's okay to change my mind. Mm, that is a good one. <laughs> and last I one. I know if I could expound since it was rapid fire. So that's why I just said it. <laughs> <laughs> and last one, name a woman who inspires you. I'll say myself. Mm. I've been through an intense healing journey. And I find that women are, are afraid to praise themselves in their journeys. And so I have literally been looking in the mirror and like, damn girl you really doing this Dang. like and so that wouldn't typically be my answer but I, I wrote that down for this answer because I was like I am overcoming so many barriers that I placed on myself and that was placed on me um and I just the, the woman that I am today I, I'm so impressed with her so I would say myself I love that and if you can't be your own inspiration I mean I don't know who else can so <laughs> I love that Well, thank you so much. And I want to make sure everyone listening goes and follows along. So where is the best place to get in touch with you? Um, Everything is at Olayinka Cradle. So my website, olayinkacradle.com, where it talks about all my initiatives and businesses, my social media, my Twitter, my LinkedIn, everything is at olayinkacradle.com, O-L-A-Y-I-N-K-A. And then my last name, C-R-E-D-L-E. Everything is at my name, Olayinka Cradle. Amazing. I'll make sure to link it all up for everyone. Thank you again so much. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Me too. My pleasure. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Girls Who Run the World podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend who would love it. Leave us a five-star review and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. To learn more about Our Gorongosa, head over to OurGorongosa.com and find us on social at OurGorongosa. 